0: Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.
1: Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast from America Media for saints and sinners. You can join us each week for honest conversations about the Catholic Church and our world today often over drinks. I am Zach Davis and I'm flying solo today, uh, just for a little bit, to introduce this week's show. I hope everyone's Lent is going well. There is no drink currently, because as is our custom on the show, we abstain from alcohol during the season of Lent. But we've got a fantastic episode coming at you today. And this comes from our live event at Loyola University, Chicago. That is, of course, for longtime listeners of the show, They will know that is my alma mater, and we are talking to Father Patrick Gilger, S.J. So, Patty is an assistant professor in the Department of Sociology at Loyola. He is uh, also a good friend of ours. He was in New York for a while. He does some amazing work on the Catholic philosopher Charles Taylor and secularity. Um, I have the Charles Taylor's book, A Secular Age. It's been on my bookshelf for a long time. I I'm embarrassed to say I haven't read it, but it's a pretty long book. Um, He wanted to talk about that, but we really thought that we should uh, bring it down to earth because we were having it on campus at night. Uh, We recorded in the beautiful chapel at the Jesuit Community at Loyola, we figured people didn't want to go to class during the day and during the evening. So what we landed on was, "What the hell should I do with my life?" God, discernment, and vocation outside the college bubble. Uh, Patty is a self-described uh, old millennial, um, and Ashley and I are also firmly in the millennial category. So we're we're talking to uh, Gen Zers, and but Patty's also posing questions for us. So it's really a roundtable conversation about sort of how we figured out what we want to do with our life. I'm still. Figuring some of that out. So while we think it was super useful for college students, we I, I'm sure that uh, the rest of our listeners are also going to find this conversation uh, really edifying because um, everyone's been there, right? Everyone's always wanted to know, you know, am I on the right path? Am I doing what God wants me to do? Um, we, we don't stop asking that question. When we leave college campus, so want to give a huge shout out to Loyola University Chicago's Campus Ministry, Mike Murphy and Katie Arnold of the Hank Center for the Catholic Intellectual Heritage, and Ignatius House, the Jesuit community for hosting us. We were, as I said, we were able to record in their beautiful chapel there, and that's a place I got to go to mass when I was in college, so it was really special for me to be back on campus. So that conversation with. Father Paddy is coming up in a bit. But before we get there, I wanted to extend an invitation to you for the month of March, America Media, which produces Jesuitical, and it's where Ashley and I work. They're extending a special offer for Lent throughout the month of March to you, subscribe for $1 for your first month. So if you've been thinking about subscribing to the best Catholic magazine out there, uh, there's never been a better time. You can get uh, our daily scripture reflections. Um, you'll get behind the paywall on our website. We have a new app where you can read scripture reflections that Ashley and I and our talented colleagues write. And you'll get access to the Zoom events that we've been trying out, um, which have been really, really fun and dynamic. Uh, and They've been subscriber only so far. So if you want to get in on some of that, you can uh, try it for just a buck for your first month. So visit americamagazine.org slash trial. That's how you're going to find the dollar offer. Um, That link is also going to be in our show notes. So once again, uh, pull out your phone to americamagazine.org slash trial. And look, I know a lot of people listening to this already have a subscription that you're already locked into the America Media Cinematic Universe, but we're trying to grow our audience. So if you know someone that would be interested in a magazine like America, please, please tell them about it. Please tell them about this special dollar trial. It's a really great time and opportunity to bring new people in. And now stick around for our conversation with Father Paddy Gilger. Welcome to Jesuitical. Uh, We're a podcast that's published by America Magazine. So America is a magazine that's published by the Jesuits. Um, We have been around since 1909. Uh, We used to publish weekly. Now we're online and on social media and all that stuff. And one of the great joys of my career is I get to uh, do this podcast with Ashley every week.
2: Yeah. No, it's very fun. It started way back in 2017. Yes, We often would hang out after work, maybe at a local bar and feel like we're having these conversations about our faith that were that were deep, that were interesting, but also lighthearted because they were often over drinks. And so uh, from there, like most millennials in the late teens of the 21st millennium, we're like, oh, we should start a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Other people should be in on these <laughs> enlightening conversations that we're having. We quickly realized that between the two of us, it was not enough to to actually be that entertaining. So we decided we should usually have a third person to interview and talk to and and mine for deep uh, spiritual insights.
1: Yeah, that's right. So we're delighted to be with someone I'm sure all of you know, uh, Father Patty Gilger. And we were thinking about what to talk about tonight and Patty said uh, Charles Taylor and we said no.
2: Correction, I said <laughs> oh, Charles <yeah>. Taylor. <laughs> And yeah. You said no. I said no,
1: um, but uh, I didn't get a vote. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we didn't ask you.
2: Valve obedience.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but one thing we we try to model on the show is we we don't have everything figured out. We we hadn't when we started. We're getting close now, but still not quite there. But I remember feeling like that in college too, like just trying to like understand where I fit in the world, where my life was going. Um, I did a lot of praying about that in this very chapel, so this is really special for me to be here and talk about this, but we're kind of gonna just like, t- the title of the talk is, what the hell should I do with my life? God, discernment, and vocation outside the college bubble. And Patty, you took issue with sort of the way we frame wait, this. Wait, wait,
2: wait, before we go real deep, I okay. wanted I wanna start on a lighter note. Like when you were like five years old, when what was the first job you ever wanted? Like when you're like, when I grow up, I wanna be X. Round table.
3: I don't know, but it was definitely not a priest. Like, never <laughs> it did not occur to me till I was in college. That's, that's
2: sure. funny because I wanted to be a nun, but not for the right reasons. I lived like five, a f- four-minute drive from Marymount College, and my thinking was... If I go to, if I'm a nun at Marymount, I can still come home, and my mom will do my laundry. <laughs> Little did I know, when you like become <laughs> religious, people just do <laughs> your laundry for you.
3: I, I wish that was true. I currently have unfolded clean laundry on my bed. I had to. This shirt was not clean. I had to wash it to wear tonight. So
2: wouldn't it be great if your mom was five minutes away to do? I your do laundry? love
3: my mom, but my mom never did my laundry. Oh man, uh, my dad did my laundry. <laughs>
1: okay. So.
3: Uh, Thanks for putting on a clean shirt for us. I usually do, but
1: not always. Thank you. Um, I wanted to play uh, point guard for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah, uh, they. So I'm close. still waiting on that phone call. Uh, I am available, but after that, uh, I wanted to be an orientation leader at Loyola at, University Chicago.
3: At Loyola Chicago,
0: no. which you, I did, I did,
1: I did do that. Which so. you did do that. Um, but after that, I, I, you know, I really did feel like I could have seen myself doing like something what I'm doing now. Yeah. So it is.
2: I want after that. I wanted to be a marine biologist.
1: Oh, okay, nice. So, so
2: liked dolphins a lot.
1: <laughs> so we're not there, but you <laughs> took issue with the way we framed this event. Something about real life and college bubble just really rubbed you the wrong way?
3: Well, you guys will not be surprised, but, you know, I get persnickety about things, right? <laughs> and, um, and I feel like the the way we talk about stuff is actually really important, like the language we use, the words we pick, and the, the way that they fall into our, you know, they become habitual for us, and then pretty soon we're just saying things that we haven't really thought about or reflected about, and then they set up those things that we fall into the patterns of speaking about, they... They set us up for like you know feeling the world and living the world in ways that I'm I am dissatisfied by, and so you know bubble I'm actually okay with, but reality or talking about like post college life as the real world I do not like, and there are two reasons for that. Like the the main reason is because it's the philosophical question, like what makes something really real, and for me what some makes something really real is like proximity to the Holy Spirit. Like, when we're closer to the Lord, when our hearts are more open, our minds are more alive, we're working more closely with the vulnerable, like, that's when those kinds of things, we can say, yeah, this is the real thing. Like, so for me, whatever it is that's closer to what Jesus was doing, that's more real. And I'm just not convinced all the time that, you know, this other world where we have to, you know, work a nine to five or 8 to 7 p.m. job right now and that kind of thing and pay taxes and all this kind of stuff and get a physician and go to all that dentist and all that. I'm like, no, like that's doesn't just that's don't have to go to the dentist. That's right. That's the real point of this. I'm an anti-dentite. So no, but the real point, right, is that the real point is like, what is it that makes something real and valuable for us? And so this is the question I kind of want to pose to you guys is okay, I know I can be over the top about all this, and I'm too much, right? But there, I think there's a point in there. And so in your different experiences of college experience and then post-college experience, what is, like, where do you feel most in touch with with the real things in your life? And what makes that easier now in your lives versus what made it easier then?
2: You talk about the language we use shaping our realities. And one word that I had never, or phrase that I had never heard while I was in college, and that has become ubiquitous since, is imposter syndrome. I never felt like an imposter in college. Like I was, Good. I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. It was a time for study and partying and new friendships and I was like all right and ever since then it's like you graduate and you're like in a job and you're like oh (laughs) like I feel weird wearing a blazer like this doesn't feel right. I feel good wearing a blazer. (laughs) I also have many
3: leather bound books.
2: (laughs) Um, But no I since graduation there is this like feeling of like okay so real life was supposed, supposed to start now and then it's like once, you, once I graduated, it was like, oh, I guess now, I, yeah, no, I, I still have roommates. And so it's like, I guess real life starts when I live by myself. And then now that I live by myself, it's like, oh, I guess real life starts when I get married. <laughs> and then I'm sure as soon as if I get married, it's going to be, oh, yeah, like real life starts when I have kids. And it just like keeps getting deferred. And if that's how we, I don't think it's a great way to approach it. And I'm trying to get out of that way of thinking. Um, but that does feel like it's been kind of the default.
1: Yeah, I, it's funny. What was I doing that made me feel like closest to what God wanted me to be doing? In some ways, it, it did feel like that. There were some things in college that did make that easier, right? And like some of it's not like, overtly spiritual at all, it's that, you know, I lived close to my friends, I had community, I could walk places, um, I had a pretty clear sense of purpose. I had things that I, like like you were saying, I had to do every day and I and I could do them and I got a grade on it at the end of the semester, right? Also like, in addition to that uh, thriving sacramental life, that was just like, I could walk across campus and be in front of Jesus. That's uh, harder to do in real life, right? To You don't have that proximity, it's not that you can't get those things in college, but you have to be way more intentional, or outside of college, you just have to be way more intentional. I think um, in creating those structures around you, so that you you have people in your life that make you feel like yourself, that um, tell you you're not an imposter, right? That you, yeah. you, you no one knows what they're doing.
3: Uh-huh. On three, ready? One, one two, two, three. You're not. You're not an, an imposter.
1: imposter. <laughs> um. So, like, college is, like, it felt like a bubble. And even today, we were walking around campus a little bit, and we were in the the silent reading room, and I was like, oh, my God. I can't remember, like, I wanted to, like, shake someone and be like, what you're doing is so awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say that to all my students. It's like, and then I was escorted out of the silent reading room. (laughs) Um, because it, it does feel like this privileged time to be able to like, really take some time away from economic production
3: to explore some cool things and, and meet new people. I do think it is a time of privilege, right? And I guess what I feel like is that it's a time where college at, at its best right, can be a time where you let your heart start getting attuned to the things that it really wants like as an adult you know and so i guess i have this you know i'm interested to hear the two of you what has happened like in your lives since where did you feel like in college that you got a chance like you're you know, you're there and you're doing all these things there and there is a sense of normal purpose in everyday life there and you're getting to study and you're around your friends there's there's liturgical life and opportunities was it a sense then that your heart was able to kind of find its north pole like it was magnetized properly and if so then what is it like to try to find that North pole afterwards? Like really what I wanted was like, what helps like what helps find that same North pole elsewhere?
1: I was like, I was a wreck with that. It felt like the, 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 it was spinning all the time. Right. I think because I like believed then, like I, there's, there's an end date to this. And then I've got to like, I think God cares about what I'm going to do after that. And I've got to figure out the right answer to that. And if I don't, yes, I'm like, I'm going to fail God in like, life will be like on this path that is like not alterable at all. Um, and I think just having like some people tell me to calm down was helpful, (laughs) but right. And then, and you, I think the thing that I came to learn is that God cares what I do every day, right? It's not just like what I do with me. He does care what I do with my life, but it's much more manageable. It's like, okay, what am I supposed to do today? Right? So like poke my head up, what are, what's in front of me? What choices should I be discerning? Um, and go from there. And then if I make the wrong choice, there are more choices to be made and God cares about how I
3: react to those as well. So is it the case, it sounds like it's the case that you, in your experience, God does not like only knock once at the door of your life.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And that, but, and it, it sounds like, duh, when you say it out loud back then, it's like, okay, I either have to figure, I have to figure out if I'm going to be a priest or if I'm going to get married or if I'm going to get married, I have to I have to marry the right person, right? And if I don't, like, it's going to be you're, you go you go down that path. As of divorce, I was a mess, like thinking about that kind of thing. Um, and I, I, I my, my wife is listening. I did choose the right person. <laughs> she is amazing. <laughs> yeah, she's, by the way. Yeah, yeah, way way out of my league. Um, you yeah, confirm. And, yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> you can say that. I can't say that right,
1: yeah. Um but you're right, God God is knocking on the door every single day, and you, you have to find, like, what are the tools in your life that help you listen to that, I think.
3: I want to hear from you, Ashley, but, like, do you have a sense of, like, what those tools are now? Like, can we deepen that for a second?
1: It's the stuff I said earlier. It's, like, good people in your life, right? Like, regular participation in a good church community. It's hopefully a sense of purpose. Like, I do, like, I get to go to work, and some days it feels like I'm pushing a, like, boulder up a hill, but, like... I, ultim- I I know what's at the top of the hill most, most of the time. So like that sense of purpose, I think it's a lot of the same stuff that you kind of feel here when you feel like your heart's on fire.
3: Failure, it feels to me like I feel in my own life as a Jesuit, as a priest, that failure when I am oriented towards a purpose I know God wants for me is much less intimidating <laughs> than not knowing where I'm going. Yeah. Right, like I'm actually okay with failing once I'm like oriented towards the Lord. But... That orientation is not always easy. Sorry, Ashley, I wanted to hear from you too on this.
2: Yeah, I bring it back to imposter syndrome. I think mean, like I um, talking about discernment in my college life, I, I get that feeling. It's like, oh i'm I'm not the one to talk about this because I grew up Catholic. And, you know it was very like, okay, confirmed everything, didn't think too much about it, get to college. And do have a, a, an experience of conversion where I feel like, oh, like this is my faith. It was a state school. I did not have Jesuits around Godless me. <laughs> place. The <laughs>
1: University of Virginia. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I think in college I became very religious, the opposite, like re- religious but not spiritual. <laughs> and yes. when I think about what does God want for me in that time, if I'm honest, it was like, I was more influenced by my econ class than by anything a priest said to me. I like I took econ one oh one and I was like, Oh, this like works with my brain. And this is super
3: depressing right now. I
2: know. Here. It gets worse. Oh boy. <laughs> It's like, oh, utility maximization. I need to, like, give to the world. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I told you.
3: We are on the north side of Chicago, not the south side.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, like, so for so much of my time in college, it was like I was trying to be an efficient person. And I was trying to figure out, all right, this is what I'm good at. This is what the world needs. What is the path where I can, like, maximize my value? (laughs) Which... Yeah, I've moved on from that. I'm, you know, I'm a Catholic journalist. <laughs> yeah. You're really maximizing yeah. your economic <laughs> value right now.
1: Yeah. I, but I think there is like a spiritual corollary to that, right? Like even here, when people talk, it's like find your passion is like common advice you're given, right? Mm-hmm. And like that's that's the way to figure out what you want to do, um, or find out what is going to make you like comfortable in the end. Like that's a way you can do that. Um, and here it was the hard thing because they're it's like they're asking you no what, what does God want from you? And that's like, that was way less clear. Yeah. And that was,
2: me. that was just like, not a question I ever like really
3: When asked. did you get that question first?
2: See again, imposter syndrome. Like, I feel like it's so easy to see, like looking back, like doing the examine of my last like 15 years. But in the moment I ended up at America because I was following father James Martin on Facebook and he posted that they were hiring an assistant editor. And I was like, that sounds cool.
3: <laughs> okay, so I think there, there there can be a way where that's like, you know, you kind of feel like this is luck or even like depressing, like, well, I don't have yeah. to plan anything or whatever. But no, like, so even if that's the case, there you've continued to make that choice ongoingly in your life to participate in this ministry over the yeah. last dozen years then. So if it, if it wasn't looking forward, being able to do it, hmm. what what is it like looking backwards and say so like, what is it that has helped you to remain faithful when that kind of... You know, the, the resonance of the call started to reverberate mm. inside your heart.
2: I will say, moving from my godless state school to working at a Catholic ministry and talking to people who gave me the language to be like, oh, okay, <laughs> like, it's not just serendipity. You're here, and what's what's the reason? Think about it. <laughs> um, and so I, I have been doing that, for. I've been at America for 10 years, and just you mentioned like the importance of like relationship and community and it's just like when you find yourself in a place where like you're surrounded by people who support you, challenge you, care about your future, care about, you yeah, everything about you. It's, it, it's, it's hard to look anywhere else.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I really dislike the way that we talk about work-life boundaries Right. Like on one level, it's very like, oh yeah, that's important. Right. You don't want to burn out. That's good. But also like,
3: I have a hot take on burnout when you're ready. I, oh, <laughs> keep
1: out dry drive real quick. Um, but you know, I, I, I say this after staying in an Airbnb with my two coworkers for a week. Um, but <laughs> like, so no problem with boundaries. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you, like it does matter. I think I, I saw some study once about like people used to have more friends at work. Than, yes, then yeah. they do now and now it's sort of like people kind of like have this idea I go in I make my money I get out and
3: life is way worse like that yeah. My dad raised us, you know He was a stay-at-home dad in the 80s, right? So which never happened in rural Louisiana, which weird enough as it is, right? But then he, when we were when we were in high school and you know old enough my two little sisters He uh, he went back to work not because like sure It's nice to have like an extra X amount of money whatever he was making But I asked him I was like dad. What do you really want? He goes? I want to go make some friends yeah, exactly like, this. Well, and
1: like so people spend like so much effort trying to like save up the right amount of money so they can retire early and then they retire and they're like,
3: this is terrible. <laughs> my, my mom just joined a women's group in in Arizona. And I'm like, yeah, this is great, mom. Yeah. Go hiking with the women's group. Read the book club. You know? Yeah,
1: yeah. And so like go the, back to college. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it's like the things that keep you engaged um, in that in that vocation in that call it really is like it's just companions it's simp- it just comes down to simple stuff but the way we try to like convince ourselves that we don't need any of those basic things
3: is remarkable that it's possible to do alone or via social media yeah exactly <laughs> I want to come back to the this point about pressure, if I can. Is yeah, that okay? Yeah. Oh so, yeah. So I I think it's very true. Like I think it's very real that you know I'm teaching students here at Loyola. I really like them and admire them. I think that these Gen Z students who were here are, they're very different than me. Like, I'm like an old millennial, you know, and the oldest of the millennials. And we
2: call them geriatric I'm millennials. Fine with that. Yeah. Geriatric millennials. I have, I have
3: no hair and all of my <laughs> gray. Right. It's, uh, that's It's true. And, but I really respect my students a lot, and for all kinds of different reasons. But one of them is that, I remember the kind of pressure I felt, you know, when I was in college 20 years ago and the kind is similar to what you were describing, you know, maybe slightly different context. But also, yes, like, am I going to be a priest or when I was in college, like I fell in love with this lovely woman when I was like in the midst of this discernment, like, what am I going to do with this? And this is so unfair to her and blah, blah. Right. So all that's there. But I feel like there's something different that these students have here there's like a ramification of the kind of pressure that I felt like I was under. And so, I don't know, is there anything that you would want to, or you feel compelled? Like is the, the Lord who you both know and love, like asking you to share with these students here, the, these young people here who are listening to this, what has been like false pressure that you've realized as you're an adult now, you know, they're adults also, but as you're an adult now in the working world, what was just fake in the past?
1: I think a lot of it's like feeling like you have to have it figured out. People told me that, right? And it just gets easier to believe the more you just keep like running into stuff and figuring it out on the fly, right? I also think about, and I don't know how to say this without like becoming like a tech downer. Because I work in, I mean, I I love it. I I love ChatGPT. I love all the cool things it's doing. But there was a real richness in some of the tech poverty that I had. Like when I wasn't, like when I was here, like Instagram existed, but no one really posted on it. You weren't constantly like comparing yourself and like your experiences and your vacations and how much time you're spending working or like how many kids your friends have or like you weren't doing that back then. It was, you were much more limited to the people around you. But, and and this is the the twisted thing, is like the way that social media has changed from like I'm looking at Ashley's posts to now I'm looking at a feed that has been designed to make me feel bad about myself and I just keep swiping, right? And so it's not even like I'm comparing myself to my friends, I'm comparing myself to this standard that is completely fake and not real in any any sense. Um, And I don't know what the answer is other than just like remind yourself of that like a lot um, and have people who will tell you that's not, that's not, that's
3: not the real world. Right. For sure. Yeah. Well said.
2: My feet is just cats and killing Murphy. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Which do you like better?
2: Ooh. Okay. Tough question. Yeah. This is kind of a different direction than Zach went in. But when I think of like, what was the, what were the pressures that I felt um, in, in college? Um, you know, I grew up in a good family, nice neighborhood, very comfortable. And when I was like a, I think it was when I was either a junior or a senior in high school, my older brother, who had had this like prodigal son story of a life, like had to go to rehab, had to like live in the wilderness for a while, came back. And I like, I, he was like my Jesus figure as a teenager. And he gave me this book um, by Tracy Kidder Mountains Beyond Mountains, uh, the story of Paul Farmer, who started, um, he went to Haiti and just like. Brought healthcare there. Um, and Partners in Health is the organization that he started. And so I was like, oh, I have privilege. I have to do that. Like, I have to like help as many people as possible. And so I go into college and I'm like, okay, and then I take econ 101. And and (laughs) I'm like, okay, so like I have a high tolerance for boredom. So (laughs) they, like, every nonprofit needs an accountant. I have never
3: heard anyone describe themselves (laughs) that way before. That's incredible self-knowledge.
2: Like, it's it's, really, I have a high
3: tolerance for boredom. Really good.
2: (laughs) So I was like, I have a high tolerance for boredom. Econ math works with my brain. So I should just become the best accountant I can be to work at a good nonprofit, like, Partners in Health, and so it was like, all right, that was like my like, all right, I just gotta do that, <laughs> and so that was the path I was on at the University of Virginia. You apply for the business school after two years of undergrad and go into that. So I was taking all of these econ and accounting classes. They were great, but like on the side, I was like, oh, like I, I've really enjoyed my uh, religious studies courses, and maybe that could be a minor. And then the summer, I got into the undergraduate business school, and then the summer between when I was supposed to start my, I had one Jesuit professor at University of Virginia, Gerald (laughs) Fogarty. What a heel turn. (laughs) And I had taken many classes with him. He's like, Ashley, what are you doing? (laughs) And he's like, I'm sure you will be a great accountant. This is not, we talked about privileged time. This is not the time to become a good accountant. And I like, that summer I wrestled with it and like two weeks before the, my junior year I called my advisor and was like, is it too late for me to change majors? <laughs> and looking back, like I don't know what it was internally that like made me realize that like this drive to just like maximize my utility to the world was not the right way to be yes, looking at that's this. Right. This is one of the ways <laughs> that
3: the evil spirit operates. Yeah.
2: Know. And I think it was just like like the experience of loving, learning about Intellectual h- history of Christian thinkers and and Christian literature and and getting immersed in that that it was just like okay maybe I'm not as good as it, at at this as I am at like econ but it, I am excited to to read these books and like and like my friends had like had a joke it was like how many drinks until Ashley brings up God at a frat party <laughs> zero
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, I, I was struck in that story like um, you had someone like say to you, what are you doing? Yeah. I'm curious if like you've had moments like that, Patty, in your life where it's been someone's had to like tell you like what's going on. What are you doing?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Although, you know, like I have a weird story, right? Because like I you guys both know me like I'm a zealot, like I'm a zealot, like I'm just full. I, I am absolutely 100 all the time. Like this is just I'm just nothing else. And so that's not always a good thing, obviously. And so often the Lord to me will be like, Hey, hey, let's go from fifth year to like third is okay. You know? <laughs> he really wants to be in second, but he's willing to <laughs> let me ramp it up. But that so so you know, that kind of what, real-
2: do, you, what do you mean by you're a zealot? Like you just like want to talk about it all the time. It's the only thing you ever think about. What you, what like what is that?
3: So earlier, Zach, when you said, you know, like there is a a possibility for kind of like an integrated life in some of these things. Yeah. Like why why does somebody become a Jesuit at the age of 21 like today? You know, like this is crazy. This crazy town. Like, why would anybody do something like that? And for me, it was like I don't I said to myself, I told the society I didn't hide anything. I said to the application process, I'm not 100 percent sure that this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. But I know I have to figure this out before I can go do anything else. So I'm here. And they were like, "That's good enough. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, we can form that, and we'll find yeah. out whether this is the thing or not thing." That's sincere.
1: Uh, I had um when I was in the throes of my should I be a priest <laughs> crisis or not. Um, I was uh, uh, seminary. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> seminary took me out to dinner to like talk to me about that, and I was just telling him like, "Oh, you know, I've I've dated though, um, but." Look, I've been re- I've been super honest with every girl that this is something I'm thinking about, and I'm I'm expecting to get patted on the back like, oh, that's good. You should be honest. And he says, "Have you ever considered you've never had an authentic relationship because you put girls on guard right away?" <laughs> 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 no, is- I had not thought about that. <laughs> hey, this is me not saying anything right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, And that was, that was a moment where, you know, you think like you're going down this path and someone just has to like, just hit you in the head with a ton of bricks. And I think if you can find those people that are willing to tell you that regularly, that's good, but. Sometimes it comes, like I wasn't that
3: close to this person that told me that. Well, that can be a gift, like those moments of contact that way. And I, I find for myself, that's one of the reasons I'm most grateful to the Society of Jesus is because I live with most of the men are in, you know, their first studies, their philosophy studies here in Chicago. And they're fantastic guys. And getting to share the house with them, it keeps me accountable in all kinds of different ways. Let me, a quick example, and then I want to come back to this question of community, because this is my community, is that the, the we just the other day, we're doing a little conversation, a house meeting about how we're going to try to live next year, because we're moving from one house to the other, fine. And um, so, you know, look, I'm 43 years old, like, I'm a professor at the institution, I'm busy, like, I don't have any time, I have no spare time, right? And so we're talking about, though, like, are we going to have a house cleaner come in and like you know clean the bathrooms right are we going to have a cook like how often like what are we going to do with the logistics of the house right and I'm like yeah we need to cook like six days a week and I'm like yeah we need a house cleaner like every day because like I don't have time for this right now that's false in some ways but these young men they didn't just challenge me they said they started talking about their invitation they were receiving from Jesus about how he was asking them to live and it kind of made me go right right That's not what I really want. That's just easier. What I really want is the same thing you guys want, is that contact with the Lord. Like, I took a vow of poverty. Let me try to live it. Let me try, right? And there are all kinds of moments where a community, for me, challenges me to be the man that the Lord actually wants me to be. Like, Jesus is not satisfied with who I am now. He loves me, but he's not satisfied. And he wants more in the society like my community is a pathway for him to get what he wants. And so the thing I want to say to you guys, like you've talked a number of times about the transition from college to post-college life, needing to intentionally, you said Zach, which is a, such an important word, but also drives me crazy, but intentionally seek out uh, these kinds of community that can offer you that. So how do you do that? How have you done it? And what's it like to fail and to succeed?
1: My wife and I talk a lot about like part of our ministry as a married couple is just like showing up. Um, Yes to that. And, and, you know, to each other, but also just in the people in our lives, like they're like someone wants to have um, some insane brunch that's going to cost us like 80 bucks. And it's like, it's not something, it's not the way we'd want to spend our like Sunday morning, but you know what? It's their birthday. They're they're not going to remember like things we say at this brunch, but they're going to remember that we were there. If there's a big moment happening in someone's life, it's like, and and I can't be there. I got to make the phone call. A metaphor I heard once. It's brilliant. They're like these little fires. And um, sometimes you need to throw another log on a fire, right? And I think of logs as like big experiences. So these are like a vacation or a trip or you stay in their home. But sometimes all you need to do is just like throw on like some some kindling or some, you know, maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's going Bring out one night. marshmallows for the s'mores. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And plus side of me is I, when I am present, I feel like I'm really with the person in front of me. And if someone is I'm out of sight, out of mind, I fail even with some of the people like I would say I love the most that are most important to me. I have treated them like, oh, it's good. Our, our relationship is fine because I can't see it. And the challenge has been to try to remind myself regularly, okay, do I need do I need to throw a log on here? Do I need to make a phone call, shoot a text, whatever that is. So I, I don't. I, it's not the perfect thing. And I know it's like intentionality is hard, but you got to do it. And having my wife is like a master spreadsheet person. So she's like, it's their birthday. Call them. So, <laughs> Another
3: utilitarian Max. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. really good. Yeah.
2: I will say... Yeah, just to be very honest. Like I've I've found it very hard. Like I work has been easy. I'm around people where it's you know, we have similar values, similar you know, we can complain about the same things to each other, which is the best way to build a relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um,
1: People in honors, I know you know the feeling, right?
2: But like so I've been going to the same parish in New York. Mostly for the same, you know, I started going there 10 years ago. And, um, and, you know, I became a Eucharistic minister. I became a lector. I would try to go to the young adult, wine and cheese after mass. And it was not, like, an authentic community. So I can't say I found that there. I will say, like, outside of work, the only real community I've found has only been in the last, like, year, really. Um, And it's, I was, uh, I was sick and i live near this park, um, Prospect Park. It has like a three-mile loop you can run around. I always run around it, but I was sick, so I was walking, and I was just feeling miserable. <laughs> and um, I saw these, like, this group in, like, neon yellow shirts, like, laughing and running. And I was like, oh, I wonder what's going on there. And they it said Achilles on the back of it. And I was like, all right, let me Google this. And it turned out to be this running group where they they pair runners with um, kids with intellectual or physical disabilities. Awesome. And, um, I was like, oh, I love, I love the like low hanging fruit, like donating blood. Favorite t- form of donating. It's free. <laughs> you get snacks. And it was like, oh, I'm gonna run around the park anyways. I can do it and do it with these really fun people.
3: Just don't do it after you've donated blood.
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so I joined it last uh, a little over a year ago and just like being in relationship with these people and moving and being outside and it's been like the most like nourishing part of my life outside of like work and faith and family
1: can i I pull something out of that yeah because it's so crucial is you were super brave in 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 the moment to decide to like look into it right no one came up like I think one of the differences here is like there's people tabling, inviting you to stuff all the time. And one of the things I found was that I had to like be brave and like put myself out there and like say, you know, I am going to reach out to this person or I am going to try to do this thing. And that's really hard to do. And Mm -hmm.
2: so... There are no club fairs after college.
1: No. uh, Yeah. (laughs) it's a good idea though. Like where do we do that? (laughs) It's a great idea. Yeah. Wrapping up, uh, Patty, I do want to ask you, while we have you here, the question we ask everyone on our podcast, uh, which is, if you could canonize one person, living or dead, Catholic or not, fictional or real, who would it be and why? And you've been on the show twice, and you have the two most basic answers lined up. Do you know that? I don't. Pope Francis (laughs) and Dorothy Day. Really? Those are my two (laughs) Those are your two. I
3: mean, in my defense, those are pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. you know, I, there are actually. I was thinking about this, and there are two people that I want to bring forward, and maybe we could t- take, put it to a vote. And so here's the uh, <laughs> here's the two people, right? So the person number one is uh, the great French Canadian Catholic philosopher. I really thought you Charles were going to say Taylor. Zach and Ashley. Charles Taylor. Charles <laughs> Taylor. Right. Option number one. Option okay. number two is the great Minnesotan singer songwriter Bob Dylan.
2: Ooh. right
3: so both are fantastic both very close to my heart and important for me in my life okay option number one let's go wow really like four wow. votes for charles taylor you guys there's are a terrible. half there's a half bob dylan
2: vote. wow, okay, yeah, wow. Bob dylan wins by congratulations
3: bob all right all right
1: Same bob dylan uh patty thanks so much for doing this this is a lot of fun awesome to thanks. be with you guys thank you Jesuitical this week was produced on location by Sebastian Gomes. Kevin Christopher Robles is our sound engineer. Faith Formation, provided by Father Eric Sundrup and Patty Gilger this week. You can follow us on X and Instagram at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you're on Apple or Spotify, leave us a review, especially if you're inclined to leave us a five-star review. Jesuitical was recorded this week on location at Loyola University, Chicago. For America Media, I'm Zach Davis with Ashley McInless, and we'll see you next week.